It took about six hours for the kind of first signs of withdrawal to kick in. My hand would instinctively kind of make the same movement that it made hundreds of times every single day, knowing that what it was reaching for wasn't there. And as the time went on, I started to try to solve a problem that wasn't solvable, anticipating what was going to happen because the next week I was going to be without the thing that maybe was most important to me, at least in that moment in time in my life. You see, this summer I was backpacking in the mountains of Colorado, uh, far away from any sign of cell phone signal or service. And so what I noticed was happening is at least 20 times an hour my hand would shoot to my back left cheek because that's where I keep my phone in my pocket knowing that I had put my phone in my bag because my phone was of no use to me because it didn't have any signal. I was there for about a week with my best friend hiking and just enjoying a little bit of time off the grid. Uh, And I didn't really think through the fact that I was really going to be off the grid, that there was going to be no opportunity for me to check in, to look at social media, to check my emails, to text or call anybody that was important to me. And so I just kept reaching for the phone over and over and over. And at first it was kind of anxiety inducing and it was a little stressful and then about a day and a half in I kind of settled into the fact that my phone wasn't there and that I didn't have to check my phone and that I was actually free from kind of that tether that would constantly draw me back to my phone over and over again. And then it kind of started to feel nice. It was like, oh, that's right. Like, I, I don't have to always be thinking about what all, what the other things that are happening in the world, what's happening at work, what's happening with people in my life. I can just be present in this moment. And, and I kind of in, hoped for and anticipated that effect, that I would be able just to be present. But what ended up happening to me was, like, profound and transformative. Because up until that point in the trip, uh, I... I love to plan my trips to, like, to the last detail because I want them to go perfectly. I want to optimize my trip experience. And up until this point in my trip, the trip had not gone according to plan at all. Through whole sorts of circumstances and situations, this was like off to the worst start that a trip could be. And so I was finding myself in this place where I was stressed out and frustrated and anxious about all of these things that were outside of my control, and I couldn't check my phone, and I couldn't. And then as I started to get present to the moment, I started to notice that God was trying to speak to me. And if you're like me, I have lots of opportunities for prayer that I engage in, and I don't ever really feel like I hear from God that much, and I'm working through that with some people, but... I want to hear from God more than I hear from God. But in that moment, disconnected and off the grid and present to what was happening all around me, I was overcome by just this immense sense of God kind of showing me that despite all of the ways that I had tried to plan this trip and all of the ways that the trip had not gone according to my plans and my expectations, that there was still something profoundly good about the trip. You see, we were about 50 miles off course from where I planned us to be, and along the way, the transmission went out in a brand new vehicle, and 
all of these other kind of disastrous things that happened to the start of our trip that really started to like bother me. And yet we found ourselves in this beautiful place looking at these beautiful mountains that overlook this beautiful lake. And for me, it was this moment of God pointing to it and saying, Stephen, how about you trust that what I have is better than all of the things that you could plan for yourself? And in that moment, it reminded me that that idea had been true and kind of been a through line through my life, that all of the plans that I had come up with never really panned out, it didn't work out, and all of the good things and all of the best things in my life had all just been gifts from God that I overlook day after day after day because I'm so busy, just like all of you are, with all of the things that are happening in our life. And it wasn't until I was in the middle of nowhere that I was reminded of this truth and this fact, and it's shaped me for the last six months. It's been this constant reminder that like, I, I can trust God in this moment because remember then how great it was and how much better it was than what I had planned. And, and what I hope for all of us is that we have this opportunity not to go to Colorado. We yes, to go to Colorado and to get away from it all. But the sense that God is present in our life, God is working in our life, and that we can trust that it's actually going to be good. The, the problem comes is we think that we have to go to Colorado and get off the grid and turn off our cell phones and put them in bags to be able to access this. Because the world in which we live is a violent endeavor to our attention and to any ability to be present to what's happening in the moment and what God's trying to do in our life. Last week, Allie kicked us off in a series that we are going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. It's called Airplane Mode. Because, at least on iPhones, I don't know what happens with, if you have Android phones. I don't even know if those phones work. But if <laughs> Allie has one, that's why I poke at her. I think she has to crank it up every morning to get it started. But there's a switch that you can put your phone on airplane mode. And we're using that as this operative metaphor because we think there is a rhythm that we can engage in in our lives. It doesn't mean we have to wait till we get to Colorado once a year or every five years to be able to be present to the activity and the workings of God in our life. And so last week she began that idea and began the conversation. And today we're going to pick it up because... There is a practice that we can institute in our lives that isn't all that complicated, but it's really hard to commit to, that actually allows us to experience that sense of trust and that sense of peace and that sense of awareness of God's presence in our life. And it comes to us from the life of Jesus. This isn't something that Allie and I kind of got in a room and brainstormed and came up with. This is something that comes directly from the life of Jesus and that Christians for the last 2,000 years have been practicing. And if, if you could only do one thing, if you're like, I don't, I'm busy, I don't got a lot of time, if you could only institute one practice in your life, if you could only institute one rhythm, one discipline as it relates to growing and developing your faith, this is it bar none. Like this... If you can do this, this is like the Pareto principle. If you can do this, this covers most of it. And Jesus shows us what this looks like. So in Jesus' life, what you see happen is Jesus begins his ministry. And immediately he's bombarded with opportunities. 
frenzied activity, all of these people needing Jesus' time, energy, attention for obvious reasons. He's healing, he's curing, he's casting out demons, he's doing all of these miracles. And the line of people needing Jesus' time and attention is endless. And yet Jesus finds a way to prioritize something that I think we have to begin to explore for ourselves. Let's look at this first. This comes out of the first gospel or first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. It says, very early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, that phrase, a solitary place, in the Greek, gets translated a whole lot of different ways. It gets translated as wilderness. It gets translated as desert. It gets translated as deserted place. It gets translated as quiet place. But what you see all throughout Jesus' life and ministry is Jesus has a frequent return to a solitary place, a place of quiet, a place of solitude where he has the opportunity to spend time with God. This is something that Jesus does again and again and again. And what's interesting to me about this is I think the way that I think about Jesus, and I don't know if you think about Jesus this way, but I don't ever think of him as deficient in anything or lacking in anything, that he was equipped with all that he was ever going to need to do the calling and the task and the work that God had for him when Jesus was walking the earth. And yet, in the midst of Jesus' ministry, We see this as a frequent rhythm that he engages in. That he steps away, disconnects from all of the frenzied activity and energies that are happening, and he leaves the needs of the people around him, he leaves the company and the solidarity of his disciples, and he finds himself frequently withdrawing, away from it all, to spend time in silence and in solitude. Now, this verse goes on and it says his, his, his companions, Simon and the others, they went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, I read into this like a kind of a, a criticism or kind of a chastisement. Like, Jesus, why are you over here by yourself? Why are you away from everybody else? Everybody's looking at you. Don't you know all of the needs that exist in the people? Come on, Jesus, like pay attention. This isn't something that you can prioritize. This isn't something that you can set as a protected thing for you to engage in because all of the needs of all of the people around you. And then Jesus responds. He says, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Now here's what I think is so profound about Jesus' discipline and rhythm of engaging in silence and solitude. Because it doesn't supply him with the energy for ministry. But what it does do for Jesus is it gives him a profound sense of what he is to do and what he's not to do. What's important and what's not important in particular moments. Jesus has the ability in this moment to... Say, I'm not going to go and attend to all of the needs that you think I need to attend to. Instead, rather, I have the ability to discern what's mine in this moment. He has this profound sense of clarity and calling over his life and over the ways that he needs to direct his energies. And I wonder 
what our lives would look like if we had that same sense of clarity, that same sense of conviction, that same sense of calling. Because if you're like me, it is so easy to get caught up in all of the options and all of the opportunities that we have to engage in all of the things around us. I think for many of us, we commend ourselves on all of the balls that we're juggling, all of the plates that we have spinning in our life, all of the commitments that we've engaged in. The problem comes when our commitments start to compete against one another. Because what ends up happening, at least to me and maybe to you, is when we find ourselves engaged in so many different commitments without clarity and conviction about where the best places are to exert our energies, is we find ourselves constantly trying to keep up. We use phrases like, how are you? I'm just busy. Or trying to keep my head above water. Or I'm just treading water right now. All of these phrases that indicate not that we're thriving, but we're barely surviving. And so we find ourselves in this place where we're exhausted and we're worried and we're anxious and we stay up late worrying about all of the things and then we wake up un, you know, unrested because of all of the things that are going on through our brains and then we spend all of our energies chasing after all of these things and around and around it goes and it never feels like we make any progress. You know, it's like a giant bowl of oatmeal. You just keep eating at it, keep eating at it, and eating at it. And you're like, I, I have made no difference in this bowl of oatmeal. Some of you will never look at oatmeal the same. But I think sometimes this is what becomes of our lives. And so we find ourselves in this place where we're exhausted. And because we're exhausted, we feel anxious about our abilities to make good on all the commitments that we've already made. We recognize our depleted energy stores and we survey all of the commitments and all of the things that we're engaged in and we're like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do the thing. And so we, beg, we borrow from Peter and rob from Peter to pay Paul. And so we're constantly just playing this game where we're shifting energies from one thing to the next or resources from one thing to the next because we are never operating out of a deep well of rest and clarity and purpose and conviction. And because we're constantly anxious, worried about all the commitments that we don't recognize or feel like we have the energies to meet, we start to move into this place of emotional unhealth. And so now any criticism or any comment anybody makes to us feels like this deeply personal attack and we become reactionary and we lash out at people or we take on kind of this victim mentality because if it, everybody realized all of the things that we're doing, they would recognize that we're doing more than most people and why don't they recognize that we're doing more than most people and people leave us alone so that we can do more than most people. You know, we, we get into these bad patterns and habits of emotional exhaustion and fatigue, but we don't recognize it because we're never present. We don't stop long enough to have any sense of how we actually are. We just keep moving from one thing to the next or distracting ourselves by one ping or ding or alert or update on a feed to the next. And so we find our play, ourselves looking at the example of Jesus and saying, that would be nice, but the only way that I can get that is if I just got off the grid for a while found myself in the middle of nowhere. And so we start to have these fantasies, these escapist fantasies, where you scroll social media and you see these beautiful islands in the middle of nowhere or these 
houses in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. You're like, oh gosh, babe, if only we could just go there for a week, it would make everything better. Why? Because we would, we think that we would have the ability to gain the thing that doesn't seem to be present in our lives in the moment. The sense of presence, the sense of trust, the sense of peace. I was sharing some of these observations about my trip in Colorado with uh, my spiritual advisor, and I was kind of going through the same spiel and how I long for more opportunities for this. And um, he just sits there. He's a very quiet person, and he sits there, and he looks at me, and he he always kind of has this slight smile on his face, which makes me think, like, he knows a whole lot more than I know and just waiting for me to realize the things that he knows that I don't know. You know, that kind of look. But it's not smug. It's like very warm and kind. I think I'm the opposite. Some of you are like, you are the opposite. Um, but he's sitting there looking at me as I'm kind of like working through all of this. And he says, you know, you don't have to wait to be in Colorado to have this experience. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. And he kind of pushed me a little bit and he says... He says, have you shared all this with God? I'm like, well, he knows. He knows. He knows. He doesn't need me to share. He knows. It's like, you could, you could have this every single day. And I think that's what we forget as well, is we look at Jesus' life, and we're like, yeah, 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 Jesus had it perfect, and he was perfect. And so that's not possible for us to emulate. And it feels so like hard to access and reach when we inventory and evaluate Jesus's life in comparison to ours and yeah he was busy but he was the son of God so it just doesn't work it's not the same thing but just a few chapters later in the gospel of Mark the disciples find themselves in this place that we've already described they can't keep up with all of the demands of all of the commitments that they've made and Jesus has something interesting to say to them in response to it this comes out of Mark 6 So the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. How many of you have found yourselves in that place where you get to the end of the day and your spouse comes home from work or you come home from work and they're like, oh, what'd you have for lunch? And you're like, uh, I didn't. I, I guess I got so caught up in the day that I forgot to eat. My day was so busy or my week was so busy. And you're like, why am I so like, angry right now? Like, oh, I have not eaten this morning. Or I have not eaten at all today. Maybe I should eat something. And instead of offering them food or instead of offering them like, some con- consolation, like it's okay, you're trying really hard, keep going, this is what Jesus says to them. He says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. That word quiet place is the same word that we saw, a solitary place or a deserted place or a wilderness. A quiet place and get some rest. Because Jesus knows what he hopes one day we'll learn is that we all need a regular rhythm of silence and solitude in our life. And this is not the first time, first time we've talked about this here at the Grove. And so if you've been around for a while, you've heard this before. If this is your first time, you'll hear this again if you stick around. But the reason that we continue to talk about it is because we think it is the foundational discipline in the life of faith. You, you really can't grow 
in your faith and relationship to God if you're not making time to be in silence and solitude with God. And it looks different for different people, but this is what it looks like for me. I try to take about the first 20 minutes of every morning to just sit in silence with God. I do it in the dark because I wake up early because I have a weird sickness where I just like to be up early in the morning. Some of you share that. Others of you, you're the opposite and you have to wait till the sun's halfway up the sky before you get up out of bed. But it doesn't matter what the sun is doing outside when you wake up. But for me, it's the first 20 minutes. This I have found to be the most effective. Some of you, you're already starting to name the objections and the reasons why this isn't possible for you. Maybe so. But for me, this is what it looks like. First 20 minutes of the morning, because I find that if I don't do it first, it is hard to get to later. So the first 20 minutes, I just sit in silence. I'm in my office, in my chair. The room is dark. Sometimes I pray the whole time. Sometimes I'm like, God, I don't, have, I don't know what to say today. And so I try to listen. Oftentimes my mind will start to think about lots of other things, what I need to do that day or what I didn't do the day before. Sometimes it'll start to daydream and I'll wander off. Sometimes I'll fall asleep. Like, it's not perfect. But what's important about it is, and again, I don't get it right every time, is the consistency. I heard another mentor of mine talk about this idea of kind of silence and solitude. And he says, the only way you can do it wrong is to not do it. It's the only way that you can do it wrong. It's just you don't show up. You don't make the time. And on the days that the day gets away from me and I don't sit down and do it, I try to find a moment in the afternoon where I can go for a walk and leave the phone and leave the dog and leave the world behind me and just I'm not walking for exercise. I'm not trying to match a certain heart rate or a certain tempo so that this also counts as steps or calories. Or It's like this slow, leisurely walk, head down, some of you drive around and you see me and you think like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, I'm like walking around to, because I'm trying to find a moment to connect with God because I want more of the sense of security and trust that God's got it and I don't have to do it all. But that only comes when I make time. And so for you, maybe it's first in the morning. My encouragement to you would be to make it first in the morning whenever morning is for you. If that doesn't work, find another place that's protected. Maybe it's as you get to work, before you get out of your car, or when you come home, before you go into the house. But we have to find space where we can be alone with God, where we can sit and to spend time. Because think about any relationship that you prioritize and value. Those relationships that mean the most to us, we spend time in them. You can't have a great marriage if you and your spouse don't spend quality time together. You can't have a great friendship if you and your friend don't spend quality time together talking with one another, sharing hopes, dreams, fears, all of the things. We recognize this. Parents and children, same dynamic. The best relationships happen with time. And relational time is wildly inefficient. We know this. Not all time in relationships is the same. Sometimes you have a moment with someone and you're like, oh, we, we shared so much and it was so good. And sometimes you just sit in silence next to each other. And it's a different kind of good. 
Sometimes you talk about nothing and sometimes you talk about things that matter. I don't, I don't know that our time with God has to be any different. I think sometimes we over-mystify it and we over-complicate it. We think that it has to be this certain set of prayers or these special words or an incantation of some sort where we get the right orientation of verbs and nouns and adverbs and adjectives. It doesn't. I think what Jesus is inviting us to is what he invited the disciples into. It's just to get away, to spend time with Jesus, and to allow that to begin to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. My favorite theologian, Dallas Willard, puts it this way. He says, silence and solitude are the most radical of the spiritual disciplines because they most directly attack the sources of human misery and wrongdoing. He goes on. To be in solitude is to choose to do nothing for extensive periods of time. For some of you, your skin is crawling right now. Your palms are starting to get a little sweaty. To choose to do nothing for extensive periods of time. All accomplishment is given up. That's the hard part for me. Silence is required to complete the solitude. For until we enter quietness, the world still lays hold of us. And he finishes. And he says, when we go into solitude and silence, we stop making demands on God. It is enough that God is God and we are his. We learn we have a soul, that God is here, that this world is my father's world. That is a tall order at times for us. To let go of all of the ways that we are trying to build our world. To let go of all of the ways that we're trying to secure our world. To make sure that everything goes according to the plans that we had when we dreamt it up or thought it up in the first place. To make sure that we have the perfect trip or the perfect life or the perfect job or the perfect relationships. We work so hard to try to put all of the pieces in place. And then we spend all of our energies trying to make sure they stay in place once we put them in place. And what we need is the opposite of all of that. To refrain from doing. To begin to shift our perspective. To recognize that it is not by our own efforts. And so we can put ourselves in proper perspective and orientation to the whole thing. To let God be God and to let this be God's world. So I don't know if you have a practice like this yet. My hope would be that today, tomorrow you begin. What will happen, you'll notice, is that as you begin to spend time in silence and solitude, you'll recognize and experience quickly how wildly ineffective and inefficient it is at first. Because there is a period and a process of undoing. You'll sit there and you'll listen. Maybe you'll talk a little bit. And then you'll be reminded of all of the things that you have to do or didn't do. And maybe you'll experience a bunch of unwanted emotions that had you been still prior, you would have had to confront and deal with the hopes, the fears, the anxieties and insecurities that we carry around with us and all of the noise that we use to drown out all of those unwanted emotions and experiences and sensations. But in the midst of it all, we're kind of laid bare. 
And what happens over time, if you keep showing up, despite the awkwardness and the uncomfortability and all of the ways that you're not sure if you're doing it right, what happens over time is you begin to get a sense of God's presence, that you can begin to trust God, maybe again, or maybe for the first time ever, that you don't have to do it all yourself. You don't have to make it all yourself. That God is God. And that this is God's world. And there's goodness just in being present with him. So that's my prayer for us. That we would begin to try. That we would begin to show up. Because that's the only way that you can do this wrong is to not even show up at all. Because what will happen on the other side of this is we will start to be a people who trust and then work within the place where God is already working in the world like Allie talked about last week. And that's when incredible things begin to happen. Like in Jesus' ministry when he has that sense of conviction and calling of what's his to do based on where God is at work. If we give ourselves enough space and enough silence, we can find that as well. Friends, let me pray. Gracious God, thank you for the continual invitation to come back into presence and relationship with you. God, help us to mark and carve out space and time to prioritize it and to protect it so that we can begin to show up and just be with you to begin to enjoy just being in your presence sometimes with a lot to say and sometimes with nothing God help us to begin to hear from you to sense your presence with us and to learn to trust that that's enough we pray this in your name Amen